together here at New Mission. Praise the Lord. Lord. Uh, Let me pray. Father, would you take this word? Would you hide me behind the cross? Would you speak to each and every person, Father, today? Would you reach into this uh, moment? And uh, Lord, uh, open our hearts to receive all that you have through your word. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So this uh, passage of text is probably the most emotional, the most heart depth that Paul expresses in any of his letters. It is a pastor uh, reaching uh, into his heart to express how he feels about this congregation in Thessalonica. How he feels about them. And it, it frankly became the inspiration, this emotion became the inspiration for uh, my message today uh, because it reflects uh, the heart of your pastor for you. If you could be uh, in our prayer times or our breakfast meetings or our walks Uh, and he speaks about you, and he prays for you, and he longs for you, and it it really became the inspiration for my message today, which I'm calling Together, Now, and Forever. Together, Now, and Forever. And uh, I loved loved, uh, Pastor Smith's comments. He said exactly what the Lord put on my heart today. We have not spoken uh, recently, and uh, this is the beautiful reality that we are together right now, and uh, as we walk by faith in Christ, we are together for all of eternity. Amen? Amen? Amen. And, and this is a, a feeling uh, that runs deep into Paul as he contemplates Uh, this church. You know, he founded this church. He preached for three weeks, maybe four, and he got kicked out of Thessalonica. And they sent him 50 miles further west to Berea. He got kicked out of there too. And uh, I think of the trials we go through as brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's uh, our uh, family who do not know or love God, whether it's uh, people at work who find out that we follow Christ, Uh, whether it's somebody in our neighborhood who says uh, they're they're those Jesus people. We we encounter opposition and suffering. And sometimes uh, it even comes from within. And we get out 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 of sorts with each other and we feel the sting. We feel the sting of that. And so this first picture I have this morning is from, um, do you have that first one? This is uh, a time where uh, God took our friendship to a new level, and I think of our time in uh, the Holy Land together, and I I just go back to uh, so many moments over the past uh, seven years or so that uh, Pastor and I have known each other and walked together and uh, it captures for me how Paul must have felt about this church that he started, that he got separated from. 
He did get to make one more trip back there after he wrote these letters. Um, but he was, he was deeply bound. He was deeply bound. And brother and sister, we're deeply bound. We're deeply bound uh, in this eternal friendship we have in Christ. Now Paul, his, Paul is coming out of this uh, long trip. In fact, these letters were written in the midst of his second missionary journey. And I've got a little picture of it there. He travels, uh, next picture, yeah. He travels about 3,000 miles in about uh, 100 days. He starts off over here in Antioch. He goes up through Cilicia. He goes there. He, he, he is prevented from going into Asia. Uh, not, not by Satan. In this passage, he's prevented from going back to Thessalonica by Satan. But earlier... He was told, do not preach in Asia. Instead, I want you to go, and he gave him a vision. The man from Macedonia uh, calling, please come and help us. So he obediently went around Asia, and then he gets up there to the old city of Troy, Troas, and he takes a boat over and he gets into Macedonia, and his first stop is at Philippi. And there, as we know, he gets thrown into jail, he gets beaten, he gets tortured, uh, and uh, that is the welcome he receives for bringing the good news uh, to Philippi. And then he goes uh, down the road and he gets the same treatment in Thessaloniki, he gets the same treatment in Berea. Eventually they put him on a boat probably and send him all the way down to Athens. He gets to Athens and there is nothing happening in Athens except idols everywhere. So he is now depressed. He's beaten physically. He's separated from the people he loves. He's depressed. He's standing in the middle of this huge city that has zero interest in God. And, and he decides at that moment that instead of having Timothy with him, he's going to send him back to Thessaloniki uh, to inquire what's going on. And we don't know if he wrote this letter from there in Athens, or if he wrote it from Corinth, when he got down there about 50 miles further down to Corinth. And finally, people started responding to the gospel uh, in large numbers. So Paul has been through the mill. When he writes this letter, he's been through the mill, and he knows that the people he loves in Thessalonica have been through the mill. They're getting dragged into the square. There's a mob there that he that has been recruited by the Jews who did not receive the word, and they are being beaten up and chased out of town. They've been through it together. And they've been through uh, a little taste of what Jesus went through. You see, he didn't come uh, to that area uh, to preach anything except the suffering, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. That was the message. That there's a king who's conquered death, and he's going to set the world straight one day. And we preach him crucified. Why? For the sin of each and every person that Paul presented that to. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That no matter what you did last week, God can clean that up with the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. 
and we can say bye-bye <laughs> to all that sin. All that sin. So if you came in here this morning and you had a bad day yesterday, if you are out of sorts with one of your neighbors, even one of your neighbors under this roof this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity before you leave here to go get right with that person. If you have been unkind, repent. Turn around. Change your thinking. Confess your sin. And be set free by the blood of Christ. And in that very message of preaching the kingdom, Jesus Himself was killed for His trouble. And so Paul is keenly aware of what the Master has suffered. And he's keenly aware when he preaches the good news, it cost his Savior everything. And as he comes into these places and he begins these little churches, he recognizes these are the chosen few that are coming out of darkness into the light. And they're receiving the Word with gladness. They're happy. They're, le they're, they're leaving the, the meeting knowing that God has been there. God loves them. God has sent the Savior to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And they're getting beat up and rejected and spit on and all of that. Uh, and they're, they're in it together. It's like a, a military platoon who goes into Afghanistan and they lose half of them. And they come out of there, they have a bond together. They have a bond together. They've suffered together. They've walked together. And they have to deal with the consequences of the, the loved ones they've lost. It produces a special bond. We were in an earthquake in Japan in 1995. 20,000 people were killed in that earthquake. At Procter & Gamble, many of us, our homes were destroyed. But none of us, thankfully, were killed. But we went through a traumatic time together and we have a bond. Whenever we meet up with someone from that time, we have an instant connection. And so Paul is saying that he's got this connection with the church in Thessaloniki, and he can't barely stand it when he could stand it no longer. So he's speaking emotionally, he's speaking from a heart, he's been through the mill, he's writing this letter because he's just heard back from Timothy. Timothy has reached him now, probably in Corinth, and has brought him the good news. Brother, they're standing firm. Brother, they're trusting in Christ. Brother, their faith is growing. They're becoming an example church all over Macedonia. They're becoming a generous church that Paul would later write about. The Macedonian churches were giving out of their poverty. And if those who were here 25 years ago would have walked in here this morning and seen the worship, they would have had exactly the same sense. Oh my gosh, they're standing firm. They're walking by faith. They're praising God. They're giving Him glory. And this, this is what it means to be the church. To walk in this love and this bond that we have. And then to... Spread it around. Spread it around. Yes. So, 
I'm going to challenge us this morning that this is, this is our calling as a church. And it's not always like this. We get at odds with each other, as I already said. Um, we have separation. Uh, there, there are times when the separation uh, is painful within our own churches. Let me give you the worst example, I think, possibly, in the whole world. When you go to Jerusalem, you see this church. I need that next picture now. Uh, you see this church. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's a big, huge church with two giant domes. That dome on, on the left there is the dome that is over where the grave of Jesus is, where the empty tomb is. And, and probably pretty good odds that that's where it was. Not what it looked like then. Didn't have a church over top of it and all that. It was a quarry. And we know he died alone outside the city walls. So the walls have moved over the years, but they think that's the spot. The other dome, is the smaller one, is over top of where the cross was. So this church is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's shared by six denominations. And they have got some very serious trouble. If you look at these windows down at the bottom of the picture, let me give you a close-up of that. That's the next picture. Yeah, that's it. There you have the windows looking in the church, and you notice there a ladder. See that ladder? Leaning up against the right-hand window? That ladder's been there since the early 1800s. That's called the immovable ladder. Back in the day, a window got broken. And one of the six denominations decided to fix the window, and the other five denominations took offense. Well, we don't like the way you fixed it. And who's going to pay for it? And so they got into this big, huge brouhaha about the window. And they have been fighting ever since. It's so bad, it's so bad, and it went before that, it's so bad that the keys to the church and the keys to the gates that are opened and closed every day for all the tourists to come in to see where Jesus died on the cross for them and where he rose from the dead for them, the keys are held by a Muslim family because the Christian family can't get along. And that's been going on for three or four centuries. So whenever we bring a group here, we tell the story. We tell the story. And we say, for the love of Jesus, for the love of Jesus, what I want you to do is make a pledge, a pledge to love each other. Amen. And we took another picture on that spot. As the team came together and we got in a circle and we put our hands together and we said, for the love of Jesus, we will walk in unity. We will walk in unity for His sake, for His glory, for His authority, for His power. And so we make that pledge. So I, I just want you to stand if you want to make that pledge today that no matter what happens with your brother and sister here, your brother and sister in the neighborhood, uh, your brother and sister at another church, 
that if you're walking with Jesus, you can put your hand in the air and you can say, I, I, Lord Jesus, want to serve you in unity with my brothers and sisters because the price you paid is too high for anything else. Amen? Let's give God some glory. Let's give God some glory. Let's give God some glory. Amen. You, you can go ahead and sit down. Now Paul gives, Paul keeps going. And uh, when we were there, uh, Brother Justin uh, wrote a poem for us, wrote a couple poems for us. But he said, because life will be so much brighter when we learn to walk in the sun. Because life will be so much brighter when we learn to walk in the sun. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that is, what, uh, that is what Paul is now going to dive into where, where he's really telling this church, we are together now and forever. We are together now and forever. This is our heart. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the news that transcends differences, transcends our theologies, it transcends everything for the love of Christ. And Paul invites us into this burning love for the Son. And he describes in five beautiful movements in that text that we heard read, five beautiful movements that speak to the truth that we are to be bound together, we are to sacrifice together, we are to suffer together, we are to celebrate together. And we are to pray together. So let me go through each of those uh, in turn. So first you come to the first movement. And he is so sad to be separated from them. He's describing it as being orphaned. This is really difficult for him. Imagine uh, new believers. Imagine leading your child to Christ and then being separated from your child four weeks later. Amen. This is how he felt as a father, yes, uh, as, a, as a pastor, as an evangelist. And so he wants to make every effort to see them, and it's like, I'm eager with great desire to see your faces. Yeah. That's what he's saying. I want to see your faces. This is what brings me joy. And he goes into talking about being uh, blocked by Satan from going back to Thessalonica. Well, we know if we read the book of Acts, chapter 17, the whole story's there. And it's these Jews who have rejected the gospel. They've gone to the market. They've raised up a mob. It may be the first gang in the Bible. And they've gone over and kicked them out of their houses and dragged them into the streets, dragged them into court. And they are like furious. And this is the work of the enemy. This is, the battle's not against flesh and blood. It's the enemy who's grabbed them and brought them into opposition with the church. They've, they've run them out of town. And then they've run them over to Berea. And then 50 miles they go, the whole mob, over there. And do it again. Kick them out of Berea. And so Paul is on the run. And it's not because he's a coward, but it's because he's the object of the attack. So he's going to leave so his brothers and sisters in Christ don't pay the price for what their violence is against him. But he leaves and he is now separated from them. And Satan is blocking that return. We have a, 
a children's home in Mexico that we've been working with for 15 years, 18 years now. And we go down every year, we make a mission trip. But in the last five years, we've not been able to go because that orphanage is in a little town called El Limon, which is in the state where the drug cartels are having an escalated war. It's so bad that all the police have been fired for corruption, and the police in that part of Mexico is the army, the Mexican army. And there are troops everywhere, there are search stations, there are gunning stations with beanbags everywhere, and we, we can send a few adults in there who are willing to risk that, but we can no longer bring our high school students to visit the home, to paint, to hang out with the children. So we've got five years of gap in relationship that have been forced on us by this satanic activity. Sometimes it's just out of our control. And, and it's actually the enemy blocking what is going on. But Paul, through that, continues to send his heart's emotion because they're bound in the Spirit. And then he says a really amazing thing. What is our hope and our joy or the crown? Now he's describing uh, one of the two most important things that are going to happen when we meet Jesus. The first thing he's going to deal with at the end of this passage, and it is, do we have faith in Christ? Are we holy and blameless before the living God? And in the beginning of this passage and the end of this passage, he's got the return of Jesus is mentioned twice, at the beginning and the end. So everything Paul is saying here, everything he's doing, is to begin with the end in mind, with the return of Christ, which he's highly anticipating, and he's telling them that when Christ returns, all that's going to matter is are you holy and blameless before God? Have you been cleansed by faith? Have you received the cross and the resurrection as payment for your sin? Have you stayed with God? Have you walked with Him faithfully? The second one, he's going to be handing out crowns. Paul talks about crowns in a few of his letters, and James also talks about a crown. There's five crowns in the Bible. There's five different types of eternal reward that we're going to get. Those who have served as elders are going to get a crown. Those who have been martyred are going to get a crown. Those who have uh, been those that produced a fruitful return are going to get a crown. They're going to get crowns because of the reward for how they followed Christ and the level, the level of faith that they brought into their lives. Now, the crowns are not going to be a big deal we're not going to be flaunting our crowns. We're going to be throwing them down on the ground in worship, right? In worship. But who wants to be crowned by Jesus at that time? I want to be crowned. The only two or three want to be crowned. Who wants to be crowned? Yes. Yes. And he, and he gives us the secret. He says, the people are your crown." So all those people that Paul brought towards Jesus, that's going to be his crown. 
You, brothers and sisters, are going to be his crown one day. But it's not just pastors. It's not just evangelists. It's not just apostles. He's saying whenever you bring anyone a step closer to Jesus, you, you get a crown. Because, why? Because Paul said some people sow the seed. Some people water the seed. Some people harvest the crop. I had a man come into my office last week and he had a lot of people sowing into his life and watering his life. But for some reason, God chose me to lead him to the Lord and to walk him through what it meant to repent of his sin and receive salvation and all of that. But I was just the last in probably a hundred people in his life who, who, who moved him a little bit. You know, when you walk down the street and someone is depressed and you say, good morning, God bless you. You are awakening that person to the fact that God loves them. When you share the gospel with someone at work and they tell you, you're an idiot. Okay? Then count it, count it as a blessing to be able to experience that rejection for the Lord. Why? Why? Because when somebody says you're really stupid, they're actually bugged. Something about that registered down there. They're not ready. They're not ready, but they're bugged. And how many people do you know the story who come to you and they say, yep, I met this guy at work and he told me about Jesus and he told me that if I didn't know Jesus and didn't receive Jesus, I'd be facing wrath one day, and you know that stuck in my craw for a number, and number of months. And then something else happened. And then something else happened. And then they get cancer. And then they go to the doctor, and they say, got three weeks to live. And all of a sudden, that word sprouts to life. Just sprouts to life. You have no idea when that's going to happen. No idea. So now, every moment, every situation, every day, every word, every conversation, you have the opportunity to move them one step closer to Jesus. One step closer, and that's going to be your crown. Now, now get this. If you are His crown, if your friends are your crown. If I've got my crown, and when we meet together right now, we are bound together for all eternity. Amen. Together now and forever. Because we're bound together. We've been through it together. We've seen the truth together. We've received the grace together. We've received the mercy together. So now we're bound together. And when one of us is down, when one of us is discouraged, we come into this place and we're worshiping God, we encourage each other. We actually put courage in to each other. We put courage into each other. So now, brothers and sisters, now, uh, from this moment on, Experience your boundedness with one another 
and with every other believer in a fresh way. But it's, it's, it's more than that. Because in the next movement, he talks about sacrificing together. It means literally uh, that you would change your plans for one another. It means that you would leave your comfort zone for one another. It could literally mean leaving your comfort zone. It could literally mean, you know, let the older person with the respiratory problem have the air-conditioned room if there's only one in the house. It can mean, it can mean walking around on a 95-degree day because it's time to pray in the neighborhood. Leave your, leave your comfort zone. And, and he's saying sacrifice for one another. I loved it in Israel when my sister Patty, who was having pain, and we had no idea what was going on with her, she came home from the trip, got a CT scan, and the doctor told her, you have weeks to live. Thank God she knows Jesus. Her first thing was, thank God I got to go to Israel. But on the trip, before we knew any of that, your very own Chris White pushed my sister around for days in a wheelchair. Up and down, uh, out of the bus, all around the place. And uh, he, he was sweating. <laughs> Let me tell you, he was sweating. Just looking at him made you want to like, ah. Oh. <laughs> he, he loved my sister sacrificially. It was beautiful. And, and when we were with her and we talked about the last days, we talked about Israel, she gave thanks for Brother Chris. She gave thanks for the privilege of being in that trip together. And uh, it was sacrificial. And, and she sacrificed her comfort to continue and to finish that trip. And, and in the end, she sacrificed uh, all of all of her comfort to go into hospice. She gave away everything she had. And she checked into hospice and they started asking her all these medical questions and the nurse was doing all the intake paperwork. And, and the nurse, finally she said, excuse me, the most important thing about me is not my medicine, it's not where I hurt, it's that Jesus pulled me out of the pit and I'm moving in here to get ready to go meet him. That's what I'm doing here. I'm going ready to go meet him. So it means that we're bound together. It means that we sacrifice together. But it also means that we suffer together. And then Paul goes into this uh, paragraph about suffering, about holding each other up, about picking one another up. He goes into this, I warned you, I told you about it. You knew it was going to happen. It definitely started happening. And, and you were, in, you were incur, encountering suffering. And he's admonishing them to, to join in that together. You know, the Latin root of the word compassion is to suffer with. So we are suffering together. And when one of us is suffering, then all of us are suffering. If someone's in hospital, then we bring meals to the family. If someone needs a visit, if someone's in prison, 
You know, we have these prison ministries. Uh, we have a, a, a congregation beside us over in Madison Place, and they have, in their homes, they have opened up six Lazarus rooms. Uh, they've built out special rooms, uh, which have a bathroom right there, and they bring in heroin addicts. They go to the inner city, they preach the gospel, and anyone who receives Jesus, they bring them and they minister to them through the withdrawal from heroin. They've brought 60 people so far out of the city. That's right. The guys who live in that house take shifts being 24-7 with that person. And there's three guys' houses with three Lazarus rooms for guys, and there's three girls' houses with three Lazarus rooms for girls. And they give them 24-7 coverage. 30 of them have successfully come off heroin. 30. Two of them came off heroin in less than three hours by the power of the Holy Spirit. They just, make, just, just uh, uh, miraculously healed. This is normally takes four or five days, and it's super painful. Two or three hours coming out. And they're devoting themselves to feed these people, to clothe them, and then out of the 30, uh, 15 have gone back to their lives and are still straight, and 15 have moved into these homes and become part of this community. That is a ministry where they deliberately suffer for one another. There are deliverance ministries in our, in our city who, who will fast for three days. Then they will pray deliverance prayers over those afflicted with evil spirits. And they will fight for them, sometimes uh, 12 hours, for that person to be set free from demonic oppression. This is the type of ministry where we, we sacrifice and we suffer together because we're bound, because we're sacrificing, because we're the body of Jesus. We're the body of Messiah. And Paul goes on, he says, it's not all just sacrificing and suffering, but it's also celebrating. Celebrating. You can't imagine what it feels like to walk into this church on Sunday morning and be welcomed here. It's a celebration. It's a party. Because we've been set free. We've been set free by Jesus Christ. We have said goodbye to all of those things that were holding us back. And we're in the light and the glory of the sun. Right? And we feel it. Now I'll tell you what, when the women of your church and the women of our church got together a few weeks ago. That was a huge celebration. And all I heard was, those women from New Mission are awesome! Y'all are awesome. You are awesome. And what a joy it was for them to meet together and celebrate together. Same thing with the men. We got a breakfast coming up in a few weeks, July 21st. And we get together and we get to know each other this much deeper each time. But we celebrate, we sing, we worship because uh, the world says that 
you know, we are incompatible. That we got too many differences between us. And we have differences. Amen. Amen. I wish we had some of the kind of differences in uh, our worship times that you all have here. We have differences, but we're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. And so we celebrate that. And Paul is sitting there just telling them, I have joy because of you guys. You make me joyful. And it's, it's really fun to, to find out from uh, someone that you've built into over the years uh, what they're doing now. We had the privilege, Marianne and I, of doing a premarital consultation for a young couple. She was pretty far along in the Lord. He was pretty new in the Lord. And throughout this time, we wondered, wow, she's a strong woman. Uh, this guy's going to have to pick it up. He's going to have to up his game in the Lord. So we prayed to that effect, and we, we did what we felt the Lord encouraging them. Fast forward 15 years, and I get a newsletter from them uh, just last week, and they've been at it. They've been in Vietnam for 10 years. They're ministering to the deaf. They're both sign language experts. That's what they studied in school. And they're ministering to the deaf. And they've ministered to hundreds of children and families in Vietnam, bringing them to Christ. And how exciting it is to, to see how well they're doing. How exciting it is to know that one of the little bits of water that went on that seed got to be poured by Marianne and I. And now, in God's economy, that's going to come home into our account. And make, mark my word, he's the best accountant in the world. And that's going to be in my account and in Marianne's account. Right? And we all have an account. The minute you trust Christ as Lord, you open up your eternal account. You know, it says in Luke 12.33, it says to store up treasure in heaven. Right? So at our church, we don't call it our 401k. We call it our L1233. The L1233 account, our Luke 1233 account, is coming in with the wealth of Christ and the generosity of Christ every time we every time we bring somebody along every time we point someone to Christ and then we we are eternally rewarded and that's a celebration so i want you to i want to give you assignment this morning if somebody in your life was was instrumental in showing you the love of Christ this week as far as it is up to you, call them, text them, email them, and say, you know what, when you gave me a pat in the back and a kick in the butt, I turned to Christ. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for investing in my life. And I'm going to be part of your crown. And I just want to encourage you. You have no idea. That person may have not seen any fruit for a long time. They may be discouraged. They may be wondering if their life in Christ matters. And if you call them up and bless them, oh my gosh, you may unleash an entirely new wave of kingdom, of kingdom expansion just by encouraging that person. When I came to Christ in Hong Kong, 
there was a man there named Ira Galloway. He was a Methodist preacher, and he was, part of, he was the leader of that team. And uh, somebody preached a sermon like this several years ago, and so I found, I've called the Methodist headquarters, I found out where he lived, I got his phone number, and I called him. And I said, Dr. Galloway, this is Dennis Beausager from Hong Kong. Do you remember me? Quiet, on the line. And then he goes, yeah, you were that guy who was crying all weekend. <laughs> and that was the weekend I came to Christ. And I told him, I just want you to know, since then, I've, I've been all in for the kingdom, and the Lord has got me doing X, Y, and Z, and I just wanted to say thank you. And he just laughed, full of joy, full of joy and celebration. And just as uh, Dr. Smith can celebrate with Tracy, and as Tracy can celebrate with you, you can celebrate with those around you. And I, I see some praying grandmothers here. I see some praying grandmothers here. I want to specifically encourage you today. Your prayers move mountains. You keep on praying, ladies. You keep on praying. And that leads me into the last point, praying together. And Paul goes into this amazing description of his prayer life, which is the highlight of his ministry. It is the power source of everything that we know about the Apostle Paul was his prayer life. And he prayed night and day. He prayed what I would call strategic prayers, he prayed serious prayers, and he prayed sustained prayers. Prayers that kept coming, that kept going, even in the midst of all the difficulty. And, and the idea of, he says, of supplying what you're lacking in your faith. Just so, that sounds weird, right? It sounds like your faith is lacking. Well, do you know that we are all just a few bad decisions away from ruin? You know, um, J.I. Packer, uh, who wrote Knowing God, says the church is a hospital where nobody is perfectly healed and everyone, everyone can fall back into illness at any time. So when he says supply what's lacking in your faith, he's actually using a really weird word there that literally is used in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus calls the disciples and it says there they were mending their nets. So Paul's supply what's lacking in your faith is mending the net of your faith. All of us have a weak spot. All of us have a place where the enemy likes to hover in there. So he's saying, all right, well, I'm gonna, I want to strengthen that part of your faith. I want to put that part of your net. I want, to, I want to put that together. The same word is used for gently restoring somebody who's fallen into sin in Galatians chapter 6. It's the same word, mending the net. It's the same word in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where it says there be no divisions among you. Mend that net. Mend that net. And so he goes into this beautiful prayer. And these are some of the prayers that the Apostle Paul prays over the churches. We call them apostolic prayers. Prayers like 
uh, you were mentioning in that sermon, uh, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. That's an apostolic prayer. Ephesians 3, which you studied, uh, is an apostolic prayer. And so this one, he goes into it and he says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. For everyone else, just as Paul's love is flowing into this Thessalonian church. Do you know that the love that the Father has for Jesus is in us? That same love is in us. So let's let that love out. Let's let it overflow to everyone around us, just as Paul's love for the Thessalonican church overflows to them. And then he goes on to say, may the Lord strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts so that you'll be holy and blameless in the presence of God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Again, the return of Christ. The end in mind of all Paul's thinking is, I want them there when Christ returns. They are his reward for his suffering. And they are my crown. And I want them there. And so he, he launches this idea of praying together. Praying for one another as the underpinning. It's the underpinning of my friendship with Pastor Tracy is prayer. Praying for our congregations. Praying for our families. Praying for uh, the city. Praying for the neighborhood of Madisonville and Madison Place in Marymount, it's how, we, it's how we bring the kingdom to the earth. This is how it happens. And so he finishes up with that holy and blameless. Notice he doesn't say sinless. What is holy and blameless? Holy and blameless is we've confessed our sin. We've been cleansed. We've been washed clean and we are cleansed from all unrighteousness at least for a while and and then the next time we fail then we we go through it again but if we are constantly in mind of his return then we're going to be constantly reminded to be holy and blameless before him which is achieved only by him it's achieved only by confession and application of the blood of Jesus over our sin. And then we're set free again to fight another round. And so there you have the, 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 the two things between uh, now and the coming of Christ to be holy and blameless when He arrives, to be ready for Him, to walk circumspectly with Him, to be, to be keeping short accounts with Him, to be cleansed by Him regularly. To love God with all of our heart and soul, mind and strength. And then over here, to overflow with love. To overflow with love. That is the, the crown that we will have one day, but to overflow with love as we love our neighbors and love others as Jesus has loved us. And so in this very short passage, Paul just pours out his heart and he tells us the two most important things about loving God and loving our neighbor. And then 
he gives us five ways to put that into practice, to be bound together for all eternity, to sacrifice together, to suffer together, to celebrate together as we are today, and to pray together. And there we will be together now and forever. Now and forever. And so this morning, uh, as the Spirit hovers over you, as the Spirit hovers over you, ask, ask the Lord to take away those barriers between you and Him. Confess, get right. Don't leave here without just leaving your sin here. Letting the blood of Jesus cover that. There may be someone even here today that you need to go and say, you know, I'm sorry. I was, I, I was, I was, I was stiff with you the other day. I was, I was short with you the other day. I'm really sorry. You're, you're worth so much more than that. And, and make it right. And you may, you may be thinking this morning is, is your day to give your life to Christ. You have heard the story of the cross. You've heard this story of how the church is really supposed to love. You've been in a place of worship and where God is loved and people are loved and welcomed. Then if, that's, if, that's, if the Holy Spirit's knocking on your door of your heart today, then receive, receive Jesus. Let Him come and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can come down here. There'll be some ministers at the front. And it may just be this morning that you want to, you just want to encourage somebody. Maybe there's somebody in this congregation who just needs encouragement. Then I encourage you as we wrap up this morning, as we worship God, as we celebrate together, that you just get up out of your seat and go to that person and just encourage them. Give them a blessing together now and forever together now and forever may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for one another and for everyone else just as ours does for you may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones amen